Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Probably Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. Joined this week, bumper episode, uh, with Liam O'Brien, regular pundit uh, on the podcast, and Joe McCarthy from Irish underscore abroad, Twitter handle. Obviously, this week we're reviewing the Six Nations, the final round of fixtures, seeing France secure, I think, a well-deserved Grand Slam uh, championship, Ireland securing the Triple Crown, and probably the good news story for the Six Nations, uh, Italy winning at the death against uh, Wales. I uh, hope all things are good, guys. Yeah, brilliant, Mark. Such drama in the Six Nations for a final weekend, wasn't it? Absolutely. God, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. I was down in a lovely sunny dingle for a stag party weekend, so... Apologies if I'm sounding a bit nasally during the podcast episode, but let's, let's get on to the Guinness Six Nations, guys. Uh, what were your kind of stand-up moments uh, from the last weekend? Uh, maybe, Joe, we'll start with yourself. Well, uh, good to talk to you again, Mark. And how are you doing, Liam? I think, um, you know, over you know, each game across the weekend had something in it. You know, we had the, the opening game between Wales and Italy, you know, on, on face value, a bit of a dead rubber. Um, I know Wales had an outside chance of uh, of finishing a bit higher up the table, but and um, but the, their performances across the the tournament uh, haven't really inspired, and but no one really gave Italy much of a chance. But um, suddenly, you know, um, you know, uh, live sport does what like only live sport can do, and. Um, uh, a last-minute try in conversion uh, to, you know, for a first win in Cardiff, and suddenly uh, Italy are the big story. Um, you know, then coming to the to the Ireland game, uh, knowing that we needed a win to have any chance of lifting the the, the title, um, and also to bring home the the triple crown. Um, I felt that uh, you know Ireland were a bit they were they were functional workmanlike but also organised and got the job done. Um, it's the kind of performance that you wanted to see. Um, I think we yeah uh, we we kind of felt like we we wanted to see from from this Ireland team we wanted to see them go out and not grind out a win but just be professional and get the win that they deserved. And then in the final game between uh, between France and England, France knowing that a, a win would bring uh, not just the title but the Grand Slam, and England looking to save some face uh, after a fairly yeah, fairly bland tournament, you'd have to say. I mean, between uh, outside of France, they probably got the biggest or the largest uh, player playing squad available to them, but. You know they lost the opening game against Scotland um, back at the beginning of February, um, and I think they struggled to recover not just from the result from the performance. Um, so now they finished with with three losses, um, and you know looking down the barrel of a a World Cup only 18 months away, you'd have to ask, um, you know, will they even have the how much of the current squad will be in place in France in 18 months time? But uh, will the Will they have the same coach uh, leading them there? Good points there, Joe. Uh, Liam, uh, what were your standout moments uh, from the weekend? Yeah, um, Capuzzo <laughs> and the Italian commentary I heard afterwards uh, was a pretty spe- spectacular end to the game there. And um, although I was still quite nervous with <laughs> Gabby trying to take the conversion, you know, 
typical Italian, he'd probably boot it left, left of centre, you know. Um, but I, I think, I think it, to me, that puts to bed along with the Italy under 20s, you know, their their three from five as well. This thing of Italy being kicked out of the Six Nations because it's probably only going to get better for Italy from now on. Um, we have your man Caputo now signing for Toulouse, and they they don't want to sign duds, you know. They're not going to sign it just for for pad work, like you know. Um, yeah. In terms of Ireland, I thought it would like we clearly built on on last year's Six Nations. And you could even say, you know, that that France Ireland game was an absolute belter um, of of a match. And in the second half, it, it, we still could have had a chance to even win that as well, you know. So we weren't that far away from winning the Grand Slam ourselves. France, I suppose, finally delivered. You know, I suppose last year they kind of choked a bit in games as well. Um, they had that edgy moments in Wales, the 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 second half in Wales, but. Um, Wellington style in the end, I think, against England, it has to be said, you know. They had way more in the tank than you felt against England as well. Um, England, two wins from five again. And, I mean, I, I'm surprised that there's absolutely no talk of Eddie Jones being in trouble whatsoever. Um, and Wales, yeah, Wales really haven't done anything in this tournament whatsoever. I suppose a lot of guys won't be playing for Wales again after that Italian loss the weekend as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I concur with all your points, guys. I think uh, that France did really pick their moments against England, didn't they? It was very much, I think they got the fright of their lives in the Principality Stadium in round four and uh, thought this was much more a composed performance. Helped most ball measure by Fiku's try after 15 minutes. They really did soak up an awful lot of defensive pressure off England. I mean, this that's their... Like, England ran for 588 metres, guys. You wouldn't have thought it in terms of the scoreboard, but, I mean, it just showed Deshaun Edwards' defensive system in complete and utter control. And France really picking their moments. I think well-deserving. Again, Entomac and Dupont, who were a little bit indifferent against Wales, pick up their game immensely. I thought the, the halfback partnership there completely dominated England, to be fair. I think Ireland just did what they had to do against Scotland, but I think it raised an awful lot of serious questions about Scotland, particularly with the stories that have come immediately out of it after the off-pitch discipline in terms of Hogg and five others of uh, the uh, Scottish squad going out for drinks, uh, breaking curfew, and he's still being retained as captain. I think there's an awful lot of discussion going on in Scotland circles regarding Stuart Hogg here in terms of long-term captaincy, when they have the likes of Richie Skinner, Hamish Watson um, there. So I think out of all the head coaches, I think Gregor Townsend's probably most vulnerable, really. I mean, they have absolutely zero excuses given the start that they made, but I think it has been an utter shambles for Scotland. I know they've had injury depth issues in the pack, but again, um, it's the old failings uh, again. And I think as regards the Italy game, I think Capuso, he's just such a talent, isn't he, guys? <laughs> you know, that last minute line break, I mean, had no right to go through the tackles he did, but then the composure to get Padovano in, I thought was just exceptional. He looks like an absolute star in the making. And the fact that Toulouse have him is just... Doesn't that show the hallmark of the player? So I think it's been quite an exciting tournament, to be perfectly fair. I don't know if we want to go to the Ireland-Scotland game, guys. Uh, just in terms of overall thoughts here, I mean, it looked fairly routine. Scotland did have a few line breaks. Keenan, I thought, outstanding again at fullback. But you never really felt at any juncture of the game that Ireland were in any way in danger here. Um, you know, and uh, I think Scotland would probably... Uh, 
you know, I think any, sorry, I think any Scotland fan would probably uh, agree with you in that. Um, you know, we kept them scoreless in the second half. Um, you know, we kept them scoreless even from, you know, from the 34th minute. Uh, and the only th- the only score they got in the whole game was a single try. Um, whereas, you know, we got, we were constantly keeping the scoreboard, taking over, you know, making player, making replacements uh, for players who just who needed a rest. And, you know, even finishing with uh, with Joey Carberry at, at fullback, um, which... Um, which I didn't think was everyone, which I didn't think was an option available to us. Um, I'm not saying he should be uh, our starting 15 going forward, but it's you know it's good to see that he was given uh, an opportunity to play in a in a different position. Um, yeah, look, I think the the celebrations uh, were probably a bit muted. Um, look, we've we've won the Triple Crown before, we've won the Six Nations before. Um, we've won the Grand Slam before, but we all knew uh, going into this game that the the real main event was uh, was happening in Paris. Um, we I I'm not sure if anyone thought England were going to spoil the party. I know I certainly didn't. Um, and you know we we finished second, um, and we got a, a a trophy for finishing second at the moment. You know it's an improvement on the on on last year's Six Nations in that we were. You know, if we were third, uh, one three and lost two, and we've improved this season. We, we you know, we won four and lost one, and the the one we lost was to the the grand, excuse me, to you know, well, yeah, the Grand Slam champions now the de facto best team in the Northern Hemisphere and arguably the best team in the world at the moment. Um, you know, that's a discussion we're got, we're probably going to come back to uh, after the the summer tours and the. The championship is complete is in the southern hemisphere, um, but I know the last time I was on the on the podcast, I said it off air that uh, France are building a team for the for the World Cup, and uh, I think this uh, this season is when that team came of age. Um, I don't know if they prioritised the the Grand Slam, but I think they definitely prioritised winning uh, winning the championship. Um, and you know, if you look down at the the age profile of the the squads, you know they have uh, they only have three players over the age of thirty. Um, whereas compared, just to compare with that, uh, Ireland have eleven. So, you know, in in as I say, eighteen months time, um, that's you know that squad that uh, that French squad are going to have a um, you know there'll be. To be hitting their peak, whereas you know realistically we're looking at replacing, you know, of those eleven, probably five or six. Um, I don't know if that's if um. And on top of that, there's you know there's five players uh, age twenty nine who would be you know north of thirty when the the World Cup rolls around. Um, so yeah, I I, I don't want to put a downer on on things. I don't want to sound down after winning a. a uh, a trophy after winning the the triple crown, um, but I think one of the problems that's been around Irish rugby for certainly at, at senior international level is that you know we're we're too busy trying to win what's in front of us and you know not trying to win what's a little bit further down the line, and yeah, it, uh, I think that's possibly what's happened here. You know, I mean, it, I would have happily sacrificed. Um, uh, 
the triple crown uh, or you know the if it meant that it, it, you know giving some of the more promising you know younger players uh top level game time with a view to having or you know just just so they have that experience going into the world cup in france um in september next year absolutely joe Liam, might get you back in here uh, just in terms of overall thoughts in terms of Ireland, positives, negatives. Are you seeing any kind of glaring squad depth issues? Yeah, look, clearly there's been improvement. I mean, Sheehan to me, I suppose, you know, with the injury to um, Kelleher, we were kind of saying who's going to really step up here. And he has been absolutely explosive power. You know, he's kind of like when he's like Southern Hemisphere guys, he was like, you know, he's a power for carrying. He's a, he's good on the ground. He has the overall game. He can he can throw in as well. You know, we also have gotten Doris has just kicked on big time as well. Uh, Low fully deserves his spot. Jameson Gibson Park is clearly number nine now, and he he plays at the right tempo uh, for me. Um, I would kind of concur with Joe that you know we we're kind of always missing the bigger picture here. You know. Um, South Africa, before the last World Cup, they were playing rugby championship and they actually selected two different squads for two different games. And they were they were willing to mix and match, you know. Um, and France clearly here again are, are building a, a very powerful young squad. So it's something that we have to think about ourselves at a certain point. I'm not saying you have to totally sacrifice, you know. Six Nations, but you certainly have to um, see still question marks about the obvious number 10, question marks about loose head and tight head prop as well. So those have to be addressed. I suppose this is where it comes into a summer tour to New Zealand, guys. Did I see Jamie Heaslip um, on the press literally going on about the summer tour to New Zealand to maybe leave a certain number 10? At home, uh, what would you think about that, uh, leaving Sexton in Ireland for that New Zealand uh, summer series, uh, Joe? It's an interesting question. Um, and, you know, you'd have to say that bringing Sexton with you, with us, um, will always guarantee you, or sorry, will give you an, an, a much better chance of, of winning. Um, you know, he's, even though he's, uh, he's 36, uh, only 37 in the summer, um, he was still you know, named as the the start or as the as number ten in many people's uh team of the tournament and I'd have to go along with that. You know the the argument was, you know, even though we lost in France, um, you know, if we had Sexton in the team, would we have you know, would not say we would have won, but I think, you know, the the margin of victory would have certainly been a lot less. Uh, I think it probably is the best to leave him. Um look Sexton is you know he's he's always been targeted uh, by opposition players and you know as I mentioned in the the last podcast um, he's getting he's you know he is getting to that age now where he's not recovering from injuries as quickly as he used to I think you know we're all um, kind of getting or I think we're all getting to that age and I, I know I'm certainly past it um, and look we we've beaten New Zealand we've done it a couple of times we've done it at home we've done it away. I, I and don't get me wrong, beating New Zealand will always be a huge achievement in rugby just because of, of their, their status in the international game. But if leaving Sexton at home means 
giving up the tour and you know possibly giving up three losses you know in exchange for giving our options at 10 um experience at probably the highest level outside of actual six nations championship rugby uh, i think it might be the right idea um it's we don't want to get caught again if if well, if, if any starting player, but especially if Sexton gets injured or gets suspended and is suddenly unavailable, um, and we have to parachute in, say, just say Carberry, um, you know, who's, <coughs> excuse me, you know, who's, who's, I think, you know, he's he got his first start in the six in the current Six Nations, which to me. Is a is an absolutely mind-boggling start, you know. You know, for a player with his profile, you know, he's been, you know, earmarked as a potential successor to Sexton for so long, to only make his, you know, his first start in a game, um, you know, at the age of 26, it's like that just doesn't add up in my head at all, and it kind of speaks to the maybe the short-termism. Um, I that's that's probably been too harsh, but like I said, that the 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 fixation with the the national side is just to win what's in front of you and not what's you know a little bit a year 18 months two years down the line you know i know i keep going back to france but after the last world cup and possibly even before the world cup when they were awarded um you know the world cup in in 2023 um they made a very conscious decision that anyone who would be maybe over the age of 30 by the time this by the time this World Cup rolls around was dropped from the squad in favour of giving the you know the their the promising their outstanding young talent game time experience and now what we've seen in, in this Six Nations is the you know the end well I don't want to, it's not the end result. The end result is going to be in the World Cup. But you know the you know the first kind of major result uh of that choice um and maybe it's time to you know the ir if you made some decisions like that yeah liam bring you in there uh just on sexton new zealand tour would you bring yeah, in yes yeah, yeah yeah what, what a nightmare scenario honestly <laughs> three test tour to new zealand and you're gonna put throw sexton in there like you know your your mvp um yeah i i, I think myself i'd also kind of leave sexton at home and bring the next the next three out halves basically i mean we we went to south africa a few years back and granted we had paddy jackson who was clear who was and clearly is the the second choice out half for ireland but um we, we did okay we also selected um we also went down to australia if i remember and um we selected Carberry for a test as well, and he did well there. So yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be quite confident that we have to ultimately have to trust in the other number tens. Um, it's only by playing them that you can see what they can actually deliver. Yeah, I think this is make a break for this Ireland tour, particularly in New Zealand. I think there's vast depth in various units, but I think definitely the ten, maybe your loose head and tight head. Is definitely areas of probably concern after the Six Nations, but definitely on the 10 front. Like, I don't know what Joy Carberry must be feeling right now um, after that Scottish cameo where he was literally substituted in for Keenan. I thought he'd get at least 20 minutes at least against Scotland at 10. 
to show his worth. But then he's just literally in the backfield. And to be honest with you, the, the amount of ball he got was negligible. So I probably would concur with you guys. I think Sexton, we have to game manage him now to World Cup 2023. And we have to build up the depth chart. We have to see who's the man. Who's the man to succeed uh, Sexton after the World Cup? And again, as you've seen, Joe, when you were in Japan, key players going down with injury just had no backup. I mean, I think we need to make that hard call now. I mean, Sexton will want to travel to New Zealand and play New Zealand in New Zealand to maybe secure a very rare Ireland win in New Zealand. But I think the bigger picture has to be, can we get a competitive squad from, you know, 1 to 35, essentially. So I definitely would go with that. Um, I suppose, guys, kind of moving on from Ireland, the other team probably that is probably looking at a few questions is probably England after this. uh, Yet another, as I think, Joe, you mentioned Bland tournament. I suppose, apart from Marcus Smith, there wasn't really much packing creativity, but... I've seen social media again swirling around about Eddie Jones. I mean, for someone to get the sack now 18 months from a World Cup would be sheer lunacy, particularly with Eddie Jones. He will try to get it right with the pack. But I don't know, guys, can you see any positives for England going into next season and into the 2023 World Cup? Uh, uh, Joe, maybe start off with there. Um, From this tournament? Um, Not really, no. I mean, if you look... Back even to the very start of it, the very first game, you know, they they lost uh, to Scotland in in Edinburgh, um, and you know, it, it, was it a shock? I mean, I mean, the, the result itself was probably a shock, but go back and watch the game, and you know, England never really threatened um, in that in that game against Scotland, and Scotland were good value for the win. You know, the the following week. Or sorry, the following round, then they uh, went out and trounced Italy, thirty-three um, nil. Again, you know, we had we had thought that Italy would suffer the backlash, and they did. That was probably you know that was their that was their their and that was it. You know, then they they lost to oh sorry, and then sorry, then beat Italy and then beat Wales, um, and then you know. This sending off against uh, against Ireland probably decided that game. I actually did think that they they played better than the this, the scoreline would suggest. Um, but when you're uh, a player down after only two minutes, you know the result is probably academic. Uh, excuse me, academic at that stage. Um, uh, I mean, how long is Jones in charge now? And can you say that you know he's he was brought in to win the World Cup? Um, is he going to do that with this England team? I don't think so. Um, you know, they paid out massive amount of money to get him out of his contract. Um, and it's it hasn't really paid off for them. You know, that's successive uh, finishes of uh, of uh, third or fourth uh, in the table. Um, at, you know, it's you know. France are, you know, the clear power in the Northern Hemisphere. Ireland are, are improving. Um, you know, even Italy, you know, sorry, I say even Italy, that's, that's disrespectful to the Italians. You know, Italy produced some great uh, moments across the tournament. And um, I don't think you can say that about this England team. Um, you know, the, the, the outstanding 
the only good thing maybe or the their their high point of their tournament is that Marcus Smith is there was the top point scorer, you know, with with seventy one. Um but I mean, does that mean that they're going to be relying on him to drag them to the to the to the title? Um in 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 next year's Six Nations or in in the World Cup? Uh, I don't know. I mean he's not he's he's not Johnny Wilkinson. But you know, very there's only ever been one Johnny Wilkinson. I don't think there there's uh you know, there's we're not gonna see we might never see another player like on his level again, uh lining out for um for England. Um so there's a there's a lot of questions um for the RFU to answer over the next twelve months. Absolutely, Claim. Uh any positives there for England that you can see? That's <laughs> a struggle, really. But yeah, you'd have to say Marcus Smith, uh, you know, even in, the, in that France game in the second half, he, he's showing goals and he's high steps. He was trying to k- kick things off, you know. Of course, there was no other guys at that wavelength, you know, so he was almost like a one man attack. Uh, Ellis Genge had a massive tournament, very, very, very massive, strong. Yeah. A massive. He's a serious player like, you know, it as well was was very prominent in the tournament. Um what stands out for me is that Eddie Jones got rid of an awful lot of guys whose faces didn't fit, and I think he probably just inferred were just too old. Um, Mako and Billy Bonipola and Alex Lazowski, uh, Danny Kerr, Cipriani. And it's fine, that's fine to say that they're too old and we're building for the World Cup, but the guys who came in weren't at their level. So I think the the young talent isn't quite the level, say, as as France. France is the luxury of a few under twenty one World uh, World Cup wins, and bringing in these guys. England don't have that luxury, and England don't really seem to have the talent. Even compared to um, what's coming through for Ireland, England don't seem to have anything like that level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only possibly can Gardner is probably Marcus Smith, and I think it'll be a fascinating battle between himself and Owen Farrell when Farrell gets back fully fit next season he'll be all guns blazing I think in fairness to Smith as you said the wavelength wasn't really there and I'm surprised given likes of Henry Slade at 12 I mean it's Manu to Angie or bust for Eddie Jones right now I think that's proven quite categorically after the Six Nations tournament he is the be all and end all for Eddie when it comes to 2023 this is a guy that's going to be equivalent to Danny Sexton to get him one piece in 2023 and deliver and I think the fact of the matter is, he just doesn't trust anyone at 13 right now. We use Elliot Daly, Joe Martin, who I have an awful lot of time for. Really didn't get a time of day with Eddie Jones. A few cameos, didn't get much quality ball, go forward ball. And as you say yourself, the back three as well has been very, very mixed. I mean, Stewart's fullback, then he's put on the wing, then the foreman in there for the inaugural debut in Paris. And we know as Irish rugby fans, we've seen that before, where a debutant goes to Paris and doesn't feature again for their international side. So I think for England, probably quite a few questions, but I think if one man that could literally rouse a nation to get it back on its feet, I think Eddie is probably it. But there's going to have to be significant improvements made, particularly in the attacking side of the ball, because pack platform is certainly there. I mean, Sinclair, I thought, was very solid, along with Jamie George. Colin Dickey did have his kind of brain fart moment against Scotland, but these are all quality players. Tom Curry comes back in, wasn't as prominent, but that is a potent pack. Again, they do have question marks over nine. Ben Youngs versus Randall. I would be going for Randall right now, but Eddie Jones, Paris, no-brainer. Ben Youngs is the guy. 
again in 2023 coming along. There are issues. It's that integration of youth and experience here. And I think Liam, you probably hit the nail on the head. I think they maybe have called a few of the guys too quickly uh, without kind of betting in one or two of them in November, one or two of them in the Six Nations and then kind of phasing the guys out. So I think from that perspective, I think England have enough. And Martin Gleeson as well in the coaching setup, I think is probably under massive pressure right now to get things right, particularly in the summer tour. Uh, and then probably Wales as well, guys. I mean, this time last week, Liam, we were exuding about Wales, about the squad depth, that this was a team, due to injuries, things that had been going on, that they looked quite rosy for 2023. Now, it's a great story with Italy. But I think from an, uh, from a Welsh perspective, at least the front of the rule on an awful lot of depth charts. And they know where they are, I think, going into next season and run up to 2023, Liam. Yeah, I mean, you could argue of, of, of all the teams in the tournament they, that Wales have, because of the, the horrific injury they have, they've actually completely experimented with their team in all positions and they know exactly what's coming through. And that isn't much, has to be said. And uh, yeah, I think that Wales... It's it's coming back to bite them. This whole regional rugby not investing in the regions themselves, and underage not coming through either. And you know they they usually produce one or two good players in, in a tournament that 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 really you know come from nowhere. It, it hasn't really happened in this tournament either. Um, and when you saw Alan Wynne Jones come on, you kind of said to yourself that that guy he won't be around for the World Cup. So, like, you know, at, at a certain point, you have to, to call players too, and that will have to happen for Wales as well. Absolutely. Joe, get you in there regarding Wales. I think it's been a mixed bag, really. I think the Italian results probably been an absolute downer for them if you can see the social media Twitter polls. But any positives there for what fans listening to this podcast? Um, Probably not. I mean, if you look where they were last year, you know, they were, um, you know, the winners of the Six Nations and, you know, now they're, you know, they're the, the fifth best team in the Northern Hemisphere. And, you know, you could even, you know, they've they finished fifth in the table, but, you know, Italy are below them. And the counter argument is that, well, Italy beat them. So Italy must be better. So are Wales the, the sixth best team in the the, you know, the Six Nations? Um, there's some serious, like, questions needed to be asked uh, about Welsh rugby. And we knew that before the... the the tournament kicked off um you know i was at the that game against wales the, the opening game uh for ireland in aviva stadium and you know they didn't offer anything until the the last five minutes with you know with, with basham went over for uh for a try and honestly that was the biggest disappointment on the day was that ireland you know weren't able to keep them to nil that it, you know a late lapse in concentration cost them you know that cost the Irish team that that uh, that clean sheet. You kind of want like if you look at the the club situation and taking that into account, um, you know they're not impressing in either in the the, the rugby championship or in any European competition this season. Um, they're you know they're they're only uh, their only win uh, came against it was probably a bit of a surprise given that it was against. Uh, uh, Scotland, uh, who had beaten England, uh, coming off the back of that England win, um, you know they didn't, you know they, they struggled to score in every game. Um, 
it's you know 76 points across the the tournament. I mean, 20, you know, only slightly more than 20. Then um, what's that? Less barely 15 points a game. Um, it's it's not looking good for Welsh rugby, and that's a shame because um, you know I, I've I've gone to games uh, against Wales before, and you know the fans when they come here to Dublin, they're you know they they're you know they're extremely passionate about the game. They love you know what rugby in in Wales. It's a massive part of of uh, of their identity, um, and to see that the state that it's in now. Um, you know, you'd wonder how they're going to recover from this. Mm, certainly. I think it's been a tough end to pretty tough championship. And as you said, the 15-point average, it's very unusual for a win Pivak. Matter aside, particularly Scarlet, you think of free-flowing rugby, creating width at will. I suppose the only positives I can probably take from it is at least they know what the squad depth is now. You know, where you'd have people probably talking about such and such a guy from the Ospreys or Scarlets or whatever. At least they kind of know kind of front five particularly where they're at because I thought Italy really took them to school over the weekend, to be perfectly honest. The back row depth, I think, had definitely got enhanced with Tane Basham. I know he was injured towards the latter end, but at least he made a nice impact. Same with Morgan as well from Ospreys, a real promising. But again, Wales always turn out those back rowers. And uh, I mean, scrum half options as well. If Hardy Williams, I still think there's life for there's life still in uh, Reese Webb there to emerge in 2023. I suppose life after Alan and Jones, lads. To be fair to this front five, it, you know one result shouldn't really affect things. There's a summer tour coming on here as well. What are the options like? I suppose I thought Wales steadily improved before, like the England tricking them performance, particularly the second half was very good. They've had flashes, Scotland in Principality Stadium, took Scotland to school as well. Again, there's been some good points, but um, again, I think squad depth-wise, they know where they're at, uh, to be perfectly fair. I suppose then we can get to Scotland here, guys. Um, For me, personally, I think Scotland have been the letdown of championship, pure and simple. I, I, I think they have been, because they've been talking great game for the last few years about how they were going to make the breakthrough, and this year being really a prime example of that. I mean, Calcutta Cup win against England at Murrayfield. How much of a platform do you need? And then, Joe, you say, Principality Stadium against Wales. Have a, a vulnerable team, a Welsh team on the back foot. And to be perfectly fair, that's never performed. And the campaign spiralled out of control thereafter. Guys, I'm very negative about Scotland. Do you have any positives about Scotland in this championship? Or even the head coach, Gregor Townsend, for that matter? Uh, Joe? Well, I think, Mark, as, as you mentioned earlier, the the end of the tournament and uh, perhaps everything that went on off, off the field has maybe put a dampener on the tournament uh, than the results for, for Scotland. Sorry, just went, for some reason I hit my, my mute button there and I didn't mean to. Um, look, after that opening round, you know, a win against England uh, at, at, uh, at Twickenham, um, you know, the, the, the first one since... 2019 retaining the Calcutta Cup, you kind of thought that yeah, this might be the the season for for Scotland to, as you say, push on into that next level. And then it's immediately followed up by a loss in in Wales, and then a loss to France, and then you know it, it you know finally getting their second win against Italy, and then showing up against Ireland, but just kind of being there. Like I said, you know they you know they they were 
completely, you know, we kept them, we kept them scoreless in the second half, and it was only that single try, you know, they registered that five points. Um, it's, I don't know, Scotland just seem to be in the, the eternal doldrums when it comes to international rugby. You know, they're they're never quite bad enough that it's, uh, you know, that people start panicking, but they're never quite good enough that people start celebrating either. Um, I, 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 in terms of, you know, positives from the tournament, probably just that England win. But when you think about it, that was that was the first win. That was sorry. That that was the the first round, and then everything that happened after that just happened. Absolutely, Clean, Getting in there. Um, might be a tad too harsh on the Scottish here. No, no, no. Of of all teams, I mean, they they've totally blown it from the opening day um, win against England. Um, that Wales was a, a really a shocking performance, you know, to see. And then we had the France game where friend Russell pretty much walking around for parts of that game, <laughs> getting the win against Italy and offering absolutely nothing against um, ourselves the last day. Now, look, in terms of positives, I think Hamish Watson, I think he hasn't he hasn't missed a tackle in the Six Nations in uh, in four seasons. Uh, he, he is some player. But it, it's... Some of their backline, you know, um, Stuart Hogg is still gets these brain fart moments as well, you know, or moments when he should be scoring tries. Um, and in terms of, then you, you wonder about the coach, Townsend. Is he uh, too strict on the squad or are they just, like, not respecting him whatsoever? Uh, he also has, of course, the thing of it's easy to say, those players should have been dropped after last weekend going out drinking but they have a real small panel of elite players to to choose from and he doesn't have that luxury ultimately long term to do that and um that's why he's kind of in a bit of a, a fix that way yeah i mean i think for gregor townsend you have to remember this is a guy that was in the British and Irish Lions that had basically voted for Finn Russell in a third test match against South Africa. And for him to then go around and then basically drop Finn Russell for Blair Kinghorn, who, to be honest, is a good footballer. He has shown in flashes in the URC. But then to basically have him in, in Dublin, a top to 10 performance was well short of test match standard. Um, to be fair, and I think that leans an awful lot to head coach here. I think head coach is under a massive pressure. I think head coach is uh, maybe hearing an awful lot of rumours from Scottish rugby fans to basically put in Horn over uh, Russell. We can say what we say about Finn Russell. Russell is a game winner, uh, to be fair. But I think the hog situation particularly is one that has really got the ire of an awful lot of Scottish rugby fans that I've been talking to, uh, particularly not even stripping the captaincy uh, from Hogg after uh, a curfew. Uh, that wasn't off the realms of possibility here. They had outstanding candidates in Hamish Watson. I mean, Watson is a complete leader in that back row. Um, you know, and I, I, the positive I can probably think of from Scotland is Darge, um, who's come in and under an awful lot of, you know, extreme circumstances here with the back, the pack being decimated by injury. Let's acknowledge that. But for a young lad to come in and impress as he's done, I think that's a good future. I think there's a nice little back row combination going to hit there um, for Scotland. But 
I think for Townsend, it's going to be an awkward um, review with the Scottish Rugby Union in the next week or two to run the rule over this because the discipline has reared its head more than once here, particularly with uh, um, Scotland under Townsend's watch. And I don't know. I think the captaincy is probably a live debate. They do have the summer tour. It'll be very interesting to see what it goes down because this is perceived as a golden generation of Scottish rugby. And to be fair, we're getting into 2023. I'd even question the fact that, like said, Magnus Bradbury, guys like that have been dispensed with a season or two too early in my eyes. Um, still quality performers. So I think there's an awful lot of soul searching to have to go on here within Scottish rugby, Scottish rugby union, the URC, Edinburgh and Glasgow. We see week in, week out are very competitive. So there's obviously a disconnect here between the URC and the, the international team here. So, I mean, Townsend will retain his job, but I think long-term strategy-wise, I think there is massive questions here, particularly in Scotland, and how they move on from here. Uh, yeah, guys, I think we can conclude there, Six Nations. I mean, I think we talked about Italy as well, being great and all that sort of stuff, but uh, maybe we can get your thoughts in terms of maybe team of the tournament, uh, in terms of maybe a few positions here. I see various journalists have literally... Uh, Provided their opinions, and that's kind of add ours to the mix, really. Uh, full back wise, guys, uh, who did you feel was the standout performer? Maybe we'll start with you, Joe. Can you just stop? Can you just give me a minute, Mark? I put my like to trying to dig out my my tournament deck or my team here. Yeah, no worries at all, Joe. Yeah, Grant, Liam, yourself. Maybe we can get your kind of uh, team first fifteen here. Oh yeah, but well, in, in in terms of full back, I mean it's clearly between to me it's between um, Jaminé and Keenan. <laughs> I was really tempted to go with Caputo as well, you know, for his his brief uh, appearances. But um, I would plump with um, Hugo Keenan. I thought he was absolutely faultless, and he 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 came stronger into each game actually, and um, he displayed a lot more attacking play and defensively absolutely outstanding so i plumb for him for for 15. would be your back three here uh yeah back three on the left um i would be between probably low and villiers um low made massive absolutely massive yardage always look for the ball scored a bucket of tries huge boot him so i'll go for low so <laughs> the Irish patriotism is really coming in, isn't it? Like, you know, two or three so far Irish. Um, other wing would have to be uh, Damien Penno. Absolutely. You know, probably obviously the, the back three player of the tournament by far and away. Yeah, I have to say that. Um, in terms of the, the centre combination, go go all French with uh, Dante and, and Fiku. I, I think what the most interesting thing maybe of this tournament as well has been how those two defensively so solid and, and and the French backline are so so strong defensively now with the whole hallmark of Sean Edwards. That's been actually fascinating to, to watch. Um, yeah, then in terms of Nyan, like you don't even have to say, uh, it has to be the little General DuPont. And for 10, I would go into Mac over Sexton just on the basis that Sexton played, I think for me, two point one two five games two and a two and eight games um because sexton was outstanding in the games that he did actually um play in uh front row i would go with um cyril Bay, uh one just ahead of ellis genge 
Um, number two, uh, Marchand. And three, this is, a, yeah, I'd probably go with, with Furlong. Then the, the line out, I'd go with Itoje and Cameron Walkie. Six, I will go with the Italian captain, uh, Lamaro, who I thought was actually immense in, in every game he played in terms of his tackle count and, and his leadership. Seven, that was that was a tough one, like you know, because um, Van der Fleer was um, was outstanding in all his games. But I go with launch. and number eight is probably the player tournament for me, um, Aldrich Gregory Aldrich. Absolutely, uh, Joe. Uh, we have you back. Uh, uh, any thoughts there or not? Yeah, so uh, was able to dig out my my notes. Uh, so uh, at fullback, um, yeah, uh, it was it was tough. Uh, I think the you know it came down to the same decision. Um, you know, do we go with um, you know Hugo Keenan um, or or Jaminet? And I went with Jaminet, but uh, honestly, if you ask me the same question tomorrow, I could probably go uh, with Keenan. Um, it's it's honestly it's impossible to split the two of them, and I think probably you know head ruling heart and maybe logic um, coming out that's what France achieved what and what Germany achieved in that French team is probably what's pushing me towards uh, towards uh, giving him the the fifteen jersey at uh, fourteen. Uh, I had to go with James Lowe. I think, um, you know, to come in uh, to, you know, he's really shown what he can do. Sorry, did I say 14? Yeah, 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 James Lowe, yeah, right wing. Um, left wing, sorry, I'm all over the place tonight. Um, yeah, I think uh, he's a, a real bright spark for Ireland. He's the kind of player that you can you can build, you can almost build a team around. And uh, you know he's uh, he's definitely going to be one that we're going to be watching. You know, not just in the summer of our next season, but our but for a long time to come. Uh, um, fourteen. Uh, I've gone for Peno, and my apologies for my pronunciation. It's terrible. Uh, my French is yeah, my French is pretty bad, but it's, uh, again. Kind of similar to to Jaminé. Uh he's you know across the tournament he's just been he's just been unbelievable really. Um, and like I said, they've been they're building they've built something at France uh, in the French uh, Union, and uh, you know he's a massive massive part of that. Um, thirteen, um, you know, and again sorry at twelve and thirteen. You know, you can't look beyond uh, Dante and Fiku either. Um, you know, they're the the they build everything through uh, at the French team comes through them. Um, they seem to have an almost telepathic relationship with each other. You know, you think of of um, you know O'Driscoll and Darcy, and that's probably as as high a compliment as you can pay anyone as a, as an Irish rugby fan. Um, just the relationship that they have, they're um, 
they're just they just seem to each of them seem to know exactly what the the other is thinking. Sorry, that's twelve and thirteen. Um, at ten, uh, I agonized over this one. I mean, Sexton, I, I, I don't know if he played enough across the tournament to be, I don't know, he was uh, to be in the the team of the tournament. If you know what I mean, I think he was, uh, he was a massive loss for Ireland um, when he was missing, uh, especially in in Paris in in their only loss uh, in the in the tournament. But I've actually gone for Marcus Smith. I think he's the, you know, he's the, the, he's a top point scorer. So I mean, it's it's, but it's more than just that. He was England's best player, um, you know, in the last, you know, in the last game against France when, um, when I, I felt like he was the one that was still trying to drive England forward. He was still trying to get the the a result, and you know, I. I think if the if the England team had the you know that if the rest of them had had that mentality, it wouldn't have been a problem. Uh, so at nine, um, yeah, again it kind of came down to an Irish player and a, a French player, um, is Gibson Park or Dupont, and I've actually gone for Gibson Park, but again, if you ask me tomorrow or if you even ask me in ten minutes, I could probably say Dupont. Um, I think what I've seen for Gibson Park in this Six Nations, um, and it's something I haven't, maybe I haven't seen or maybe I haven't noticed before, is that, you know, the style of play that he has, you know, he fits in to the style of rugby that the coach wants us to play. And I think that in terms of pure talent, I think Conor Murray is probably a better player, but in this Ireland team, Gibson Park is a better scrum half, um, if you know what I mean. Just in terms of a, in terms of of uh, of a fit. Uh, eight, yeah. Look, it's 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 Aldrich. I mean, I don't think there's any there's anyone else that could uh, that could be wearing that jersey. Uh, he's just he's just a magnificent player, and again, just you know, in this in this French team. Uh, you know, I I don't know if they have any. It's kind of it's it sounds disrespectful to say they don't have any outstanding players, but they're all so good that you know to be outstanding in it, you have to be even in another class. Um, I think, uh, but yeah, I, I've gone with uh, with Aldrich. Um, at 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 seven, uh, Van der Fleer. Um, again. I think he's been in great form for for Leinster. Um, he's he's brought that to the to the to the Six Nations. Um, I I think um, yeah. I, uh, okay, uh, there's, there's very little more I can say about him. Um, we've seen what he can do, and you know, as he's developed over in the Ireland team over the last few years. Um, and yeah, look, uh, he's. He's probably, you know, he's probably one of the best. He's, I think he's the best at us in the Northern Hemisphere, anyway. Um, which again is a is an amazing compliment to 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 play him to pay him. At six, uh, it was tough. Uh, I mean, but ultimately, I was probably making it more difficult than it was when I when I went back and looked down through it, like 
the obvious, sometimes the obvious choice is, you know, I was thinking, is it too easy? Um, but look, the sometimes the obvious choice is the obvious choice for a reason, and it's tight burn. Um, it's uh, just in that in that Ireland pack. He's a he's a leader. He's you know he's going to you know when we see him when we see him on the summer tour in New Zealand. Um, you know he's one of the players you can point to and say you know he could easily be wearing an All Blacks jersey because he's that good. Uh, uh, second row, number four, I've gone for, uh, uh, and again, my apologies for my pronunciation, uh, Willems, uh from France. And um, beside him, uh, and possibly a little bit um, of a surprise, um, I've gone for Rollins from Wales. I think, uh, look, Replacing Alwyn Jones is is not going to be easy for anyone. Um, you know he's a, a legend, not just in Wales but in you know international rugby. Um, but I felt that Rollins was one of the was one of the bright spots uh, for Wales in what will ultimately you know we, we, what ultimately finished as a a very disappointing tournament um, uh, for the side um, and beside him then. Excuse me. Um, yeah, well, I'm yeah, look, uh, 41 tackles across the tournament, uh, one of the highest in the Six Nations. Uh, you know, scored a try against Scotland. Um, yeah, uh, just yeah, I think it was a fairly, fairly easy to pick in the end. Um, and then finally, uh, up front, I Hooker, I've gone for. I'm oh, sorry, maybe a little bit out of order, but I've I've Dan Sheehan. Um, again, came down to between him and a, an Irish player and a French player, uh, Marshawn. It was it was a, you know maybe maybe this is one of the few occasions across the team where I've gone with with heart overhead, but um, yeah, I think that's. Uh, that's uh, Sheehan's play across the across the tournament. Uh, you know, lineouts, score tries. Um, he's, you know, he's what we kind of expect from a modern uh, front row player. He's only 23. Um, you know, he's he's still to break into double figures uh, in terms of Ireland caps, um, and to to play, you know, to play like that. Um, is uh, you know it's uh, probably you know I think the the potential for him is um, possibly lim- is you know sky's the limit for him really. Um, uh, number I'm going to finish go number three. Uh, gone for uh, Ellis. <coughs> Excuse me. Ellis uh, is it, I'm I'm sorry Genji or Geng Geng. Oh Geng. Yeah, Genge. Yeah, sorry. I don't remember what's his name. Um, yeah, look, uh, again, maybe similar to, to Rollins uh, at Wales. Um, you know, uh, and now it's, you know, a bright spark in a, you know, a disappointing tournament or a team that had a disappointing tournament. Um, but just, uh, you know, he had 40 tackles uh, across the five games, you know, eight a game. Um, that's, that's, you know, it's impressive in, in anyone's book. Um, and you know he's you know he's a threat 
uh, with ball in hand. And I just think that, you know, England, again, like in 12 months time, when England are picking the squ- their squad for the 23 Six Nations, you know, he's he's going to be one of the first names uh, on the uh, on the, the team sheet. And then finally, number one, um, yeah, it's 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 Cyril uh, by from France. Um, you know, it's only his second Six Nations, um, but you know, 35 tackles across it, um, carried a ball for 25 meters on average per game. Um, you know, again, if you want an example of what France uh, have done. Um, and what France are building, or sorry, what France have been building for the last three years, um, you can point uh, right at the the man wearing the number one jersey uh, for the French team. So, you know, I think uh, probably a lot of players uh, similar to uh, similar there uh, to Liam. Um, one or two maybe controversial picks, um, and. Um, I don't know. Still undecided about Marcus Smith at ten, but I think uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm happy with it. But if you ask me again in 24 hours, I'd probably wonder what I was thinking. Your number crunching, data analytics uh, skills holds no bounds there, Joe. But uh, I think I concur with most of you guys there. To be perfectly fair, I mean, I'll quickly go down through them. I had Jamine or um, Keenan. I just went for Keenan, just part overhead really, to be honest. Consistency. You know, I thought his attacking play from fullback really evolved this year. So it gets to know, but I think Jaminet is a true leader in this French side right now. After round four in Wales, Principality Stadium and other French lads were not doing it. Jaminet stood up. So I think that's a marginal call. Penal three tries, I think is a lock at 14. Viku and Dante, defensive stalwarts of that back line. I thought picked themselves really to be fair. Low at eleven, I think obviously, you know, had an awful lot of good cameos there. Ten, uh, I went for Antimac purely because France went in the Grand Slam, but I would give Garbesi from Italy a bit of a, a nod here because I thought in various periods there I thought Garbesi was absolutely class. And if he could get a few of the under twenties, get a bit of a pack platform around him and hopefully this win in the Principality Stadium will do that. We'll see the best of this guy come 2023 in the World Cup. Uh, Dupont for me, Je- little general was just, he was class in, in the key moments, particularly against England, you know, really was class. Aldrich, I think was my player of the tournament anyway. Uh, Van der Fleer, I thought I went for. Uh, Lamaro from Italy, six. Now, I would recognise a guy from the French front row that, or back row that doesn't get really much recognition. Cruz, for me, was absolutely immense. From first whistle to last whistle, he's one of these guys that'll make the 14, 15, 16 tackles. He'll do all the hard work. He is an absolute talisman for this French side. So I think an honourable mention there. I think Cameron Wokey, what an athlete. <clears throat> and Mario Otaji, 4 or 5. I think give an honourable mention to Ty Byrne as well from Mario Otaji. He has a superb uh, tournament. He's Mr. Versatile. Byrne, where do you put him? Do you put him second row, back row? I mean, he's predominantly playing back row or second row. So, but I think Wokey and uh, Ataji for me, Ataji, particularly at the end of the tournament, particularly when Ewell's going off, I thought was a key kind of moment for him. He really stepped up leadership-wise. And then front row, I think Furlong, even though he had a tough outing against England, I think has been predominantly our best front rower for many years, still class. Uh, Marshall for me, absolutely standing. But I mean, Dan Sheehan has basically... Uh, 
is owning that jersey from Ireland right now. And I think when Roland Kelleher comes back and Rob Herring, it'll be a fascinating duel. And then number one, I'm going for Ellis Genge, the guy I'd love to play with this guy. I think he's an absolute legend, uh, to be perfectly fair. And I think 78 metres against France uh, that Saturday, we did capture the hearts and minds of England for a, a little bit of the match. So uh, that's my 15 there anyway, guys. I know we're on a bit late, guys, but uh, do we want a few brief comments about Munster v Lions in Johannesburg? A hot, hot day in the Ellis Park, 1,700 metre altitude. Great start from Munster Lane, but unfortunately uh, got a harsh lesson in how to close a contest from the hosts. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it was a great start to the 21-10 half time and then to not do anything in the second half uh, completely. Now, there was a key moment there on the 49th or 50th minute where um, Alice Kendallin try was disallowed and it was, I don't know, it was, it was, it was controversial because you're only supposed to go back two two phases, three, maybe three phases. Um, this was definitely about five or six phases back, you know. And and after that, then, you know, almost a minute or two later, the Lions bring in their entire uh, front row, new front row. And from that point on, they, they demolished us in every aspect. And they had two brothers, Vincent and Emmanuel, um, two huge back rowers as well like running at us um and guys wilted as well it has to be said you know a lot of guys were noticeable wilted but like desperate to to lose the two games so tightly and it puts us in a position where i would say we're, we're looking for ulster and leinster now in south africa to win their two games to pretty much that would that would ensure that we'd be in the top four that's the way it's looking. But there, there was positives, I guess, from, you know, the sense of Josh Witcherly actually stood out um, in that game. John, Jack O'Donoghue over the two games was excellent as well. Um, the out-half position still hasn't been nailed down. And um, Patterson, when he came on, actually with noticeable impact as well at scrum half. Yeah, you've been very impressed by Patterson, haven't you, Liam? I mean, last week in the podcast... You really did mention that you did like the way he plays the game. You know, it's very go-forward ball. Often, I mean, no disrespect to Cronin either. I thought Cronin was absolutely outstanding in his cameo as well. Some lovely kind of uh, passing kind of exchanges there, particularly with Jack O'Donoghue, I think, for uh, was it one of the tries? Uh, um, was it Richard Lee's try just on halftime uh, for the third try? But, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the results didn't go according to plan for Munster, but I think this has been a great experience and learning curve for an awful lot of the, the squad. Uh, just in terms of how the game is played in the Southern Hemisphere, I mean, if you look at Salami's try, like right now, I mean, God, I mean, he absolutely crushes Nash on the wing, like, you know, it's, uh, or Van der Merv, actually, wasn't it? Um, Van der Merv, yeah, yeah, Van der Merv. It was just literally a thunderous ball carry. I mean, you don't get that every day of the week in URC, particularly if you're literally in Wales or Scotland, even in a European Cup game. So I think. To be honest, I know results haven't gone against us. We're a little bit backs against the wall. We need a must win against Bennett and Rugby. And uh, dare we say, uh, a certain Jason Jenkins apparently is available here, uh, Liam O'Brien, uh, for uh, that game. Um, so wait with bated breath there. But I mean, that seems like a must win. The, the, the fixture list for Munster doesn't get any easier either, really there anyway. But I mean, for the Lions, 146 tackles were made throughout. And I mean, they're kind of lauding their defensive performance at the moment. But as you say, Liam, I think the Candelan try, if that goes over, it's a different complexion completely. But I think Munster were given a bit of a lesson 
uh, really in the last 20 minutes when the altitude kind of kicked in. And that was a bit of a concern of mine last week. Just in terms of the altitude after Loftus versus Felt the previous week before, the exertions, the pack, the squad, the game minutes, it did kind of catch up with us. But um, I think overall, I think it was a great experience down there in South Africa. Uh, South Africa and I think it bodes well for the Munster. I think the younger players probably have learned heaps. So, you know, hopefully they'll continue to improve. Being a lengthy one here, lads, but uh, I think we've got plenty to go through. I'd like to thank Joe McCarthy. You can follow Joe at Irish underscore broad. Joe, that's correct. Is it the, the hash handle there? Yep, that's perfect. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and Liam McBreen, you can follow. Uh, I don't think you have a Twitter handle. I think you should. No, at this stage, uh, Liam, uh, give yourself a plug. Um, again, you can follow me on Hawkeye Psychic, but... Uh, Again, next week, probably review the Munster Benetton game and any of the UFC action leading into the European Cup games because I know I'll kind of have a tasty game against Leinster as well for familiarity, breeding content there after that. So, but uh, until next week, uh, guys, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Sidekick on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.